Welcome to Highway Diary. I'm your host, Eric Hollerbach. With me, my favorite brother from New Zealand, Auckland, Vinny Eastwood. This is Highway Diary episode 387. Very nice. We got oh, we man. got domestic Vinny today. Normally we have in the studio Vinny. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm uh going to be uh here in Whangarei, which is about maybe two hours drive north of where I normally live, uh, staying with my um, my baby girl uh, to my ex-wife here um, just for the next four days because uh, last time I took her, which I think was uh, last Saturday or the Saturday before, uh, she broke her arm on the jungle gym. So I'm just kind of like, yeah, I really want to be here and, and, and uh, take care of her and stuff like that and give that poor mummy a rest. Uh, the little sausage. How, how, uh, was it a comp? It wasn't a compound, was it? It was just a hairline or how bad was the break? Uh, well, it, you know how like compound and hairline, you've heard of those kind of fractures, right? Uh, whereas they, she actually had a fracture, a kind of which that was like, I don't know, six, four or five syllables long or something like that. I couldn't uh, remember it off the top of my head, but it was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. Like a spiral um, fracture? A spiral? No, no, no. It was some kind of Latin word. Um, was it her humerus or her ulna radius? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, just like right here on the on the humerus. arm, uh, humerus. In, in the in the middle of the, in the middle of the bicep. Yeah, um, that's that's about what, where she uh, where she fell with all her weight on that, and just kind of like. Uh, crushed it and, uh, and then she her arm was really really limp and I was like oh my god baby, are you okay uh, can you lift your arm and then she lifts it and the, and the thing just flops right in the middle it was just like oh my god um so immediately got her to the um what's it called the hospital got her, got her there in about five minutes um and so yeah that was that was a pretty harrowing thing um, and then I had to drive back uh, to my partner, Rebecca, and our son, Alfie, um, and had to leave Sarah here with uh, with Alina by herself. So I felt really bad about that. So I've been wanting to uh, come back uh, to take care of her as much as I can. So it's like, yeah, bro, if you, if you mess up, uh, you know, if you're not paying attention, then something bad happens as far as I'm concerned. That's kind of your responsibility. Um, and I haven't been able to take responsibility because I've been taking care of my other son um, at home. Uh, so this has been, uh, yeah, it's been very, very difficult for me kind of uh, psychologically. Um, what Did they put a plate or a pin in the humerus? Uh, they put a, a couple of uh, wires uh, around it um, so that she can um, heal up and not get nerve damage. She's got a big cast around it, um, and so it's going to be take about six weeks, so about another five more weeks. And tomorrow morning, uh, we're going in to get her cast redone, uh, which yeah, t- getting a cast off and then and back on again is uh, very, very, um, very, very difficult. Now it says this meeting is being recorded, but I can't get rid of that notification. Um, um might be a cell phone oh. issue. I don't know. No, no, no! I just had to, just had to flip it. There we go. Cool. Um, oh. harrowing, harrowing stuff. You know, I want to tell you this. Um, Highway Diary episode three eight five. Uh, this is three eight seven three eight five. I recorded with my friend Ben Sefton on a Thursday, 
And then both his parents contacted me and he died on Sunday. Oh, oh man. Yeah. And we, there was a lot about incarcerations and mental hospital visits and stuff like that. So, and, uh, but it was just like, what? And you never know how important recording something like this is because they literally said your podcast and him explaining his story in his own words after he died, I was, they were all grieving and my podcast, they, the parents sent this podcast out to everybody um, as some sort of, it became relevant. It was four days before. So as, as horrible as that was, and I've been grieving the loss of my friend, um, it was also, you know, a blessing that I was able to be there right, right in his last days, you know? Mm. Yeah, I felt that way after Rosa Corey died. I, I'd interviewed her, I think, uh, maybe three weeks uh, before it happened. And she hadn't done any other interviews after that. And, uh, yeah, so that was uh, something I, I can understand what you're feeling like. Oh, thank God I did that. But you're still grieving. Yeah. And then the, both but both the parents were, like, super, like, they sent me all these heart emojis and all that stuff. And they're like, thank you. Because, you know... This is the last time he spoke and I got it on MP3. And, you know, he's a fascinating dude. Really, you know, that the thing I always say about him is like there's a fine line between genius and insanity. And he was like living in the spirit world half the time. And so, you know, I think uh, some some demon caught up with him or something. Um, you know, you, you never know how important you are to some people. And I was telling you, I saw my godson today and I always import on him analog analog every fucking day it's right here it's under my keyboard but i write a note card uh you know wednesday and it could be so simple laundry this that that i went to the boxing club this morning i cleaned the mats i had to sew together a heavy bag over there i had to schedule uh fix the schedule up and you know whatever i'm a boxing coach um and you know then I have a wall, wall calendar too. And the wall calendar is my macro and my note card is my micro. So I was explaining this to my godson. He goes, no, no, you don't need that. That's all bullshit. And then he pulls up his iPad and he goes, see right here. Hold on. I have Google. And he's like, I have the calendar. Oh man. And he couldn't get it up on his fucking machine. I go, exactly. If it was a pen and paper, it's already there. You don't got to fiddle with no device. It's there. It's always there. A wall calendar doesn't take a fuck. There's no place to put a battery in it. I go, what happens if you got a brownout? You don't know, you know, you forget that grandma's supposed to visit. Write it down. I just think that's so important. That's the main message I try to instill. Analog shit. You know? Because I think mm. if everything's digital, then the, and I'm, I know we're using digital communications now, but I scheduled it on my wall calendar months ago. You know? Hmm um anyway i think that's what i really want to tell this generation uh speaking of analog stuff i just went to florida to see my mom and you know i realized that my mom she's 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 always had like a nervous anxiety disorder but it, it was really it's really getting bad and like we went in the ocean and my like we go to florida i got on a plane to go to florida i'm gonna jump in the ocean we're in fort lauderdale it's a lovely beach beautiful women you know um so I dove in the water and my mom starts screaming, the riptide, 
the riptide, you're going to die. And I go, and then I look over, I'm in the water. I go, there's an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old. They seem fine. And and you know, my mom goes, she goes, they're going to die. Because she just like, once she gets in a thing of the riptide, the undertow, everyone's dead. So then the waves are crashing and you just go in the wave. Oh, the wave's coming. You go in it, you go in it. And then once you get past the breakers, there's a nice strip that's very easy to navigate you just lay on your belly and the salt water takes you around very simple um and then i realized that so then my mom gets in the water and then she was facing the shore she was facing the beach the sand not the ocean and she was so scared of the the breakers that she just kept getting pummeled by them over and over i go go dive into the problems dive into your problems don't ignore your problems because then your problems just bash you and then as I was in the water, I was seriously thinking about you and you protesting the lockdowns. And when you dove right in, they're they're shutting my country down. They're turning the they're shutting the economy off. They're turning this place that I love into bullshit. Dive in. Dive in. You're just if you're mm. facing the beach, you're just gonna get pummeled. Yeah. Well, I said uh, the day before we did that, that I have come here to chew bubble gum and tell bad jokes. And I'm all out of bubble gum. <laughs> Any updates about your case, Vin Eastwood? Well, yes and no. Um, have we reached a verdict and a conclusion or anything? No. Uh, is there going to be one eventually? But yeah, uh, on the 10th of October, so the 10th of the 10th, which is four days before New Zealand's election day. We're in election season right now. I've got another um, month and a month and a half, I think, uh, left to go. Uh, 44 days. And once that's all sorted, we'll have a new ruler um, and then uh, I, I don't think that there's really going to be any attention on our case, uh, to tell you the truth, because if, they, if they're giving us a verdict right in the middle of the last four days of the election cycle, are we even going to make the headlines, you know? Because uh, uh, week is a long time in politics, they say, but in the last couple of days before the election, it's just a madhouse, this country. So, yeah, that's kind of a bit difficult. The judge himself... Uh, according to my lawyer and Billy's lawyer, uh, was probably we could have had a lot worse judges uh, uh, doing our case, uh, and he was uh, kind of like overwhelmed by how much documents and things of that nature that he had to get through. Uh, he said that this was more paperwork than he'd had to do in the last three months of cases that he'd been uh, trialing at the high court. And it might be the most uh, paperwork he'd have to go through for any trial he's ever done. Um, and towards the end of uh, the uh, trial, the police prosecutor was, uh, you know, rather vehemently uh, trying to deride us and saying that these guys hugged people. I saw them embrace and we've got footage of it, you know, um, as if that's like the worst, the, that was probably the worst thing that we did that day, honestly, uh, according to the police is uh, we embraced other people who were there. Now hugged. We you hugged people. 
Oh yeah, with the deadly weapon. No, no, no. Just with um, just with my wang. Um, and which is not deadly. I don't think I've killed anybody with it. Yeah, anyway, the 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 whole um angle of the uh, police uh was such that out of the three charges that we had, which was failing to provide a password while we were in custody and not talking. We were going to face up to three months in prison for that. That charge was dropped. Organizing a protest, that charge was dropped. And now we're left with one charge, which is attending a protest. The offense in question, we are facing three months in prison for myself and four months in prison for Billy, ostensibly for standing within two meters of another human being. Okay, that's, that's, this is our crime. Uh, at the moment and when the lawyer billy's lawyer paul borich qc put that out in the courtroom the courtroom just erupted in laughter because it really cauterized exactly how ridiculous the state's case is this guy stood within two meters of another human being Oh my goodness, we kind of sent her in jail. Three months, four months jail. Yes, 90% of the maximum sentence. These people stood next to people. I can't believe it. The worst crime I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it kind of um, gives kind of a lot of credence to the conspiracy people that say that um, this is a depopulation agenda. It's hard to copulate without at least getting two meters next to somebody. So. That's a good way to depopulate when nobody can get close enough to do something like that, you know? Or at least not if they're not in your bubble. Um, <laughs> and that was something uh, my ex-wife's uh, uh, friends said uh, when we were in lockdown and uh, having our baby girl is that she couldn't come round to help us or see us in any way because she had too many people in her bubble, right? Oh. And I'm I'm just like there's new terms come out and people who are freaking morons who don't have an operating conscience who are basically just de facto satanists all out for themselves and and uh, that kind of thing as soon as the media gives you a term or it manufactures some crisis or whatever, suddenly they are all behind it and they're very much vehemently in favor of it, whatever the hell it happens to be. Uh, and you can understand that this is a form of madness, all right? Absolute freaking madness. Uh, or the technical term for it is mass psychosis. When everybody's crazy, Right. And it's happened uh, many times throughout history. You know, you uh, think of uh, Bolshevik Russia having a, a mass psychosis. You would think of uh, the witch burnings uh, uh, and in Salem as a mass psychosis. Uh, and now we're dealing with a, a different kind of uh, mass psychosis, which is a profitable mass psychosis. Because, Jonestown, uh, Jonestown massacre. Well, there's a, a few questions that I have about the Jonestown uh, massacre and things of that nature, but um, let's I say know, that... I know a lot about that case. Yeah? Uh, like the uh, 
what was it, CIA sniper teams or something like that uh, coming down there, and then suddenly everybody's dead, and then they go home? Uh, No, there's an audio recording. Uh, So what what happened was, this guy said, America is corrupt, you know, this, this Bible Belt preacher, America's corrupt, we have to start a new utopia. So he went to South America and he called it Jonestown because he was Mr. Jones. Uh, The preacher was called Jones. So he started like a little commune in South America. And, uh, you know, it got headlines in newspapers and a congressman from the district that they left went to or senator, I forget which. He flew down there to just check on the people to see his ex-constituents, how they were making out in this place. Two people slipped this guy and the Jones started doing a lot of drugs. Okay. The the senator was slipped by two people, um, a note card surreptitiously that said, we want to leave two out of 700. So the mm. senator said, oh, you seem like you have a very nice place here. Everything's very nice. Um, I am just taking that person, that person with me back on my jet to America. Everything else is fine. You guys are doing great. So he goes to back to his the airport in a car and Jones sends his goons to kill them so his goons kill all of the the senator and the people that were leaving one guy hid in a in an embankment next to the airport and then he knew because he was paranoid but also a li- you know that well he just killed a senator so the uf the us army is going to go down and kill him so instead of having him get killed he took his whole flock down with him by putting cyanide in Kool-Aid and passed out Kool-Aid to everybody. And they all drank the Kool-Aid and died by cyanide poisoning because their leader, who was the gateway to heaven, who they flew down to South America to follow uh, on drugs, told them to. Mm. That's the Jonestown massacre, the largest mass suicide ever. And he saw how horrible and how much in pain all of his constituents were, all his flock from drinking the cyanide. So he shot himself. He mm. didn't want to go out like that. That looked painful. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh that's narcissistic psychopathy for you, isn't it? Hey everybody, I'm gonna save you. Hey, you're gonna save us. Well, by enslaving you and killing you. Okay, that doesn't sound that great when you explain it that way. Yeah, I know. That's why I'm going to explain it in a different way. God wants us to leave. God wants us to drink Kool-Aid. You You know know what he said? You know what he said in the microphone? It only works if everyone does it. Uh, Have you heard? Does that sound familiar? It only works if everyone does it. I think the U.S. government went... You know, this is a lot of bodies to clean up, but hmm, I think that guy's got a big idea. Yeah, I mean, the the entirety of history is littered with a whole bunch of people who listened to a person in authority and didn't survive it. You know, um, if anything, uh, authority, I mean, according to uh, the 20th century statistics anyway, uh, you were more likely to die unnaturally because of your own democratically elected government than by any other factor, right? Like the people you vote for are more likely to kill you than anything else, more than sharks, more than lions, more than gang members with guns. Your government, who you elect, is more likely to freaking murder you. And this is uh, kind of one of my beefs with 
authority just in general, I just don't like it that much, principally because I am educated, you know, I have thoughts. And this is the thing that authority doesn't like terribly much. It only works if you all do it, really, because on the micro to macro scale, anything that works on a small scale will work on a large scale. You're saying it won't work on a small scale, but only work on a large scale. That doesn't make any sense. I don't think I'm going to drink that, right? This is somebody who questions authority. This is somebody who has internal logic. And uh, for somebody who's a uh, blind religious believer, and Mark Passio says religion is the worst thing in the world, uh, statism being the worst religion ever, uh, we have a mind that can be trained. We have a brain that can be basically turned off and corralled into these uh, certain what we call mindsets. And if you're clever or brutal enough, you can deploy these tactics and get pretty much a human being to do whatever you want. Now, usually if you're talking about, say, police or military, for example, they're the people who keep order in the streets and prevent your country getting invaded ostensibly. Uh, but they don't work for free. Okay, so the, the best method of mind control is money. Are you paying me? Yeah, well, I'm going to do what you say then, because otherwise my family is. And I was talking to a guy the other day and I said, said to him, you know, you've got some strong opinions, man. Maybe you should run for local council. He goes, no, nah, that's all corrupt. And uh, besides, I just need to take care of my family and what have you. And I didn't say it to him at the time, but maybe I should have. Uh, that's what everybody who is kowtowed to tyranny in history has basically at one point or another said, oh, yeah, I know they're exterminating everybody and enslaving everyone, but I've got a family to feed, so I'll just do what I'm told by them. Well, hold on a second. You, you're contributing, therefore, to the slavery and murder, aren't you? Yeah, but at least my family's going to survive. It's like, really, are they? Can you, can you live with yourself? I mean, let, let's say you're technically alive and, and what have you, but daddy was a Nazi sympathizer and you have to deal with that stigma for the rest of your life. You know? Whatever it is, it's just straight up cowardice. If you ain't willing to put yourself and your family on the line for the truth, you're a coward. Okay? There really isn't any other way to say it. I mean, I know you love your kids. I love mine too. But I am putting them at risk and I am putting myself at risk because the truth is more important than just having a comfortable life. Truth is what's manifest in any free society like uh chris newman on my show uh told me you don't get freedom uh unless you tell the truth just like you don't get the uh the truth if you just fight for freedom you got to fight for free for truth then you get your freedom it doesn't work the other way around you can't fight for freedom and then suddenly get your truth can you and this is the thing, it's, it orders chaos to tell the truth. Regardless of what you've done or what you've said, you can just start telling the truth and, and admit it and try to make up for it, right? This is what penance is about. You pay a penalty and a penitent person is somebody who is willingly 
wanting to pay that penalty. Now, I'd been, I don't know, making videos for 12, 15 years or something like that around about the time that I'd been arrested. And uh, before that even happened, though, uh, I'd been deplatformed. So I'd lost uh, 6,000 videos and 65,000 YouTube subscribers and 20,000 hours worth of work. And, and uh, basically, everybody was just asking me, when, I, when they'd randomly bump into me in person, like, hey, Vinny, what happened to you? I couldn't find you anywhere. Did you bother Googling Vinny Eastwood? Oh, no, nah, no. Nah. Did you did you bother going to my website, thevinnieeastwoodshow.com? Oh, no, no, no. You were just gone from YouTube and I didn't see you anymore. and didn't bother making even one internet search to try and find you. You know? That's so frustrating, bro. And at the moment, I can... I can tell you that if you're broadcasting yourself and you're trying to make it big or whatever, if you get one live listener, you are getting more followers than Vinny Eastwood, who's been doing this for 15 years. One live listener. That's all it takes. So go out there, ladies and gentlemen, get that listener <laughs> and entertain the living shit out of them, bro. <laughs> Yeah, I love what you were talking about, about truth, because, you know, in the Bible, it says all men are created equal, you know, and then you have homeless people. And, you know, I always think about that. I was thinking about this driving um, today. Is that how is it fair? OK, everyone like wakes up in the morning. Some people have 10 trillion breakfasts in the bank account. Some people have zero. We're all the same when we wake up. Some people have zero breakfast in their bank account. Some people have 10 trillion. There's a lot of homeless people in Austin, Texas here. And the rule is if the government drags them off the street and puts them, they have to put them in housing. They can't just pull them off the street and ship them. They have to house them. Right. And then I think about like a lot of them don't want to be housed because they're paranoid of the system. And then <clears throat> people who are so into the system that they mesh with the system, like Paul Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi's gay husband, he doesn't have the one thing that the homeless people have, community. So what does he do? He goes looking for community by picking up gay prostitutes. And then what do they do? They bash him in the head with a hammer on drugs. And then Paul Pelosi was beaten, his skull was beaten in. So there's just like a some kind of natural balance out there of like he has 10 million he's bored in the castle with a hundred million dollars because he thought i want more 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 that's all he thought money packet in the thing and then he like looks around he doesn't have to work and he's like something's missing from my soul <laughs> so he catches a dui with a gay prostitute in his car two months later another gay prostitute bashes him half to death with a hammer on drugs Mm. Uh, he's not dead he's not dead though eh? no no he just went in a coma for a couple of days i'm sure he is he has that good insurance they probably pumped him of adrenochrome you know he's doing fine meanwhile like yeah. uh you know every, all the commercial real estate in san francisco is a boondoggle because you know uh what a nightmare you know i was buying a, a 2024 calendar i'm very big on wall calendars as i said and conspiracy people think that i'm just like a naive pie in the sky type of guy for buying a 2024 calendar you know with uh, the war in russia coming up mm -hmm. i'm an optimist 
You think there's going to be another year of mankind? <laughs> how many? How many? What was it? I was rolling through my archives on my website, and I've still got a lot on there. Um, and one of them was on uh, December tenth, twenty twelve. Um, and we were rolling through all the 2012 predictions, what people thought was going to happen. Um, and looking at that in retrospect is actually quite funny because the amount of times, I've, I think on an annual basis, there are three end of the world scenarios minimum um, that come into view for everybody. Oh my God, the world's going to, this, this country's been invaded. That pandemic's been let loose. We're locked down. The media's been taken over. Oh my God, BlackRock has taken over, you know, whatever it is. And um, I think Andrew, no, 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 what was it? Zeta, uh, I forget her name. She was, she was really good guest. Uh, she's in the gold industry and stuff like that. And we were talking about, Gerald Salente, how Gerald Salente would always be uh, predicting a dollar collapse. And you, and you can go back and search Gerald Salente dollar collapse and you can see him saying it in 2010 and 2011 and 2012. Every year he says that the US dollar is going to collapse. Um, and then I talked to uh, uh, Zeta, I believe her name is, and she said, well, Vinny, it has been collapsing every single year. Uh, the the it's been getting progressively devalued. So what's happening is that all these crises that that are so called you know end of the world crises or, or or whatever are actually happening, and they are ending the world little bit by little bit by little bit. Now that what that means is that you as an individual have the ability to take action and create non crises. All right. A guy can uh, create sound currency if he wants, you know, and just walk around the people in his street and say, hey, bro, do you want to uh, start trading in this currency instead? You want to go to local shops? It can, it can be done. And it has been done in, in, in many cases and examples. Now, what's difficult, though, is getting people out of that mindset that crisis is coming, abandon your prefrontal cortex. Okay? That's what happens. This is how they keep you in fear um, and keep you uh, obedient at the same time is because when you're confronted by a dangerous scenario, your prefrontal cortex, which does your black and white thinking, your mathematics, your logic, and all of that kind of stuff, that is right out the window. The mammalian cortex then takes over, and it's about how you feel. This is what uh, governs all of our social relationships, friendships, and so on and so forth. And then that gets thrown out the window. And then you get back into the reptilian cortex, which tells you there's only about five things that you can do, mate. You can run. Okay. Can you, can you run from uh, your government? Maybe, but not really. So you can fight. Can you just uh, go out with an AK-47 and take out the government? No, well, you can try, but you'll get shot down. Uh, and then there's freeze. Oh my goodness, it's such a threat. I can't do anything about it. I'm just going to sit here and hold in my house and then just eat Cheetos and and, uh, and and drink Red Bull and just hope that this goes away. And then there's submit. Oh man, they're doing the right thing. Okay, well, I guess I better just cowtow to this and be cowardly. And the last response, which is I think what the uh, controllers of mankind have become adept at getting out of people is attachment. A threat is so big, so bad, 
that you can't run from it, you can't fight it, freezing doesn't work, doing its bidding doesn't work, and so you become devoted to this evil and you start hating everybody the evil tells you to hate, you know? I was watching a comedian um, the other night talking about uh, all these uh, quote-unquote anti-vaxxers who are about to die. And I thought that was really funny, but not for the same reasons the audience did. (laughs) I forget what his name, I think his last name was Alan. And he said, well, I didn't want to get vaccinated, but then Netflix, um, you know, gave me a special. (laughs) Two months later, I died of a heart attack. Literally said that, (laughs) literally said that in the special. And that's what happened. Mm-hmm. Again, my mom is so scared of the ocean that she faces away and gets battered. They're all gonna die. I jump right into the wave, and you know what? There's a nice strip right after the breakers where I'm laying on my back, relaxing. Um, I want to talk about another thing. Uh, eminent domain. Now, there's something called eminent domain where if if the government needs your house to build a highway. They're supposed to give you market value for your house and displace you. And then, uh, you know, you go kind of like the homeless person. Uh, we can't we have to if you, we take you off the street, we have to house you. Um, but then there's also something called pli- plausible deniability. And then I look at um, the earthquake that happened in Queensland and the um, fires that happened in Maui. There was an earthquake in Queensland or Christchurch. I'm sorry. Was it Christchurch? Christ yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the so well, the government needs to pay you for your house, but looks like a lot of uh, Maui houses were sort of digitally erased from a laser from the sky. I don't know. Well, um, uh, yeah. what what Janice Bocello was uh, saying is that all those houses had smart meters, and smart meters are known for catching fire. Uh, and what she claims is that you're capable remotely of making that smart meter catch fire. So if you had a whole bunch of houses that you wanted to go up and smoke and just a couple that you didn't, you could do it just like that. Yeah. You know what doesn't uh, they don't have control over? Note cards, analog uh, calendars on your wall. That's what they don't have control over, you know. Uh all right. Um, but you have to when you you have to pay property tax, you have to pay property tax to the government. So even after you buy your house, you're kind of renting the land from your government so that you give them, you know, two percent of the value back to the government per year in property tax. And then if they decide to um, erase your house and do what they want with it, they can. Um, this reminds me of Tortilla Flats. Um when they wanted to build Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles, there was a place called Tortilla Flats, which was a Mexican neighborhood that was at the top of this hill. And um, I hear that they didn't do the eminent domain and the cops came in and kicked everybody's ass and kicked them out. Whoa. Yeah, that's what I hear happen. Tortilla Flat, And then they build Dodger Stadium. And, uh, you know, I took a nice lady there one time. And... Um, she <clears throat> gave me oral sex before, and then I couldn't find my car. You know, uh, you know, good times make soft men, this guy. So there was a nice thriving neighborhood. 
they kick everybody out so I can show up getting a blowy and then I can't find my car. I'm so disoriented. Um, anyway, <laughs> go, go see a Dodgers game if you live in Los Angeles. Uh, you know, good, good, good memories. What, 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 weren't the Dodgers from Brooklyn? They probably uh traded to Los Angeles, you know. Oh, well, because I, I remember the uh, the Brooklyn Dodgers and, and the telling them about the, how, how they got their name is because in Brooklyn there's so much freaking angry traffic that in order to get across the street you had to learn how to dodge cars pretty well. Bob and weave, man. That's probably true. Um, speaking of this, I also, um, speak of court, I went to tow court and, you know, speaking of diving into the wave, don't don't turn away from your problems. You're Sarah's getting- not home. Okay, we're back. A uh, little issue with the neighbor. We're back. Um, so I was t- talking about, you know, facing your fears, facing your problem is always the best way. It's smooth sailing after. You've been taking a hard road, fighting the whole state, you know, the judicial system of uh, New Zealand. Uh, you know, the kangaroos are, you know, waiting for election to see where the wind tides before they make a decision about very clear, nonsensical bullshit. Um, but one, uh, I fought some tyranny because in my own apartment, I know they lie to me. So I feel karmically clear to lie to them, too, and and to do everything I can. They lie to me that say it's 95 percent occupied. My apartment building, it's 30 percent occupied. But that's how they go. Oh, well, the market value, we can keep charging you. every time my lease is up. They try to raise it by three hundred dollars a year. I even bought a parking spot, a signed parking spot that cost me money every month. Well, they had to take it away from me to Renault. They took off the hot tin roofs. They put new ones on. They said they were not going to charge me for July and August. I see my August bill. They charged me. I had to go in the office and go take this off. I can't even use the spot. They're like, oh, yeah, that was a clerical mistake. Always in their favor. And then, oh, yeah, right. And then I parked under this shady tree. There's a lot of parking spots in a row. This parking spot had like X's through it. It used to be handicapped. Now it's not, but it's got X's through it. So I parked there because it's under a shady tree. We had 40 days in a row, over 100 here in Austin, Texas. These Mm. cockroaches called Triton Towing towed my car. They go around like little cockroaches looking for parking infractions. They towed it. So then I had to give them, front them $230 by the way, my office is so out of touch. I go to the office and I go, where's the where's my car? And they said Pflugerville. I took a $40 Uber up to Pflugerville only to get there. And that my car is not there. Then I called the main number and they're like, oh, no, it's in North Austin. So I took another Uber to North Austin. My, my So then I go, I go right to the window. I go, how much do you kick back to the, my apartment every time you tow someone? And they go, oh, don't worry about that. Okay. So... Then at the very bottom, so I got paid 230 up front. I got my car back. I bring it down. And then I go over the little paperwork, like a little cockroach. And it says at the very bottom, you could go to Justice for Peace. Um, and if you want to dispute the tow. So I drove right there to Justice for Peace. Well, first of all, at the paperwork, it said, was there a sign that said no parking towaway zone? And I was like, that's binary answer. That's the only thing they asked me. And I go, no, there wasn't. So I'm like, oh, they're fucked. So I took one picture of where they towed me from, dive right in the fucking wave. I, you know, got myself on the docket 
And the, I took all these pictures and I explained the whole situation. And the judge said to me, he, look, he goes, I'm going to ask you a lot of questions. He looked through my paperwork. I'm going to ask you a lot of questions. He goes, I'm going to refund your toe. Boom. So they give me the paperwork to refund my toe. Um, but to me, your case is as simple as my case. Um, the government's like, we hate love. Nobody should hug. Nobody should be around each other. You should feel isolated. You should feel you, we should gain a function, a lack of community so that everyone kills themselves and drinks the or takes the, the poison. It only works if everyone does it. That's your case. It, my, my, the judge for the parking toe looked at it and goes, this is so complicated. I'm going to refund your toe. I didn't say a word. I was ready to be like, you can't handle the truth, your honor. I was ready to give a whole speech. He just saw the one photograph. Oh, there wasn't a no Parkinson there. Okay. Yeah, here you go. I was, I was so fired up to go to give him hell and brimstone. He got, frankly, mm. he took wind out of my sails when he said, I'm going to refund your toe. Cause I wanted to get him there through my righteous anger. You know, apparently one photograph did the trick. Ugh, I'm worried about you, Vinny Eastwood. I hope that the court doesn't wait. Those fucking pussies and fucking faggy outfits don't have to wait for the fucking electoral system. Mm. Do they wear yeah. wigs? What do they? What do they look like? No, they just look like regular people just wearing a black robe. You know, like they're in. Uh... Like they're in Eyes Wide Shut or something, you know. Yeah, it's a costume. <laughs> wearing a costume. It's all theater. Yeah. I mean, but that's the thing as well. It's, uh, despite the fact that, you know, Hollywood has kind of dramatized court appearances and things of that nature so that there might be something exciting or interesting going on. But the majority of the time, there is nothing exciting or interesting or fun uh, going on inside a courtroom. Like, I, I think maybe we had about maybe 30 people there to support us. And uh, at a look around, at least half of them were asleep uh, at certain points during the trial. You know, it's just like, you know, they're old. They've... <laughs> it's, it's a very dull freaking court process, man. Um, I had lots of. Uh, little, you know, when you've got a cashmere uh, sweater or something like that, and you get these little things on it, the little bitty bit type type things, and you have to, 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 yeah, 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 and they and they're stuck to it, and you have to rip them off, you know, one at a time. My entire jacket before going into court was covered in those things. By the time we left, they weren't no more little bitty bit things. <laughs> That was that was why I spent my time to <laughs> so boring. Oh man, you know, and I'm I'm an entertainer by trade, and uh, just seeing people uh, go through this was just 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 relentless, freaking painful. Oh, oh my god, so tired. I I feel tired even now thinking about it. <laughs> That's brutal. And all, all the time and energy and wasted resources on lawyers for just like you were standing next to another bloke. Yeah. And uh, then uh, $90,000 uh, later, you know, uh, we still haven't got it a verdict. Yeah. Right. And uh, for me, it's, I think it's cost me 
about 30 grand uh, for my lawyer. Billy's uh, near the 100 grand mark uh, for his. So it's been, yeah, uh, pretty tough on both of us. Billy's a, a you know, world-famous blues musician, um, and he's had to sell, I think, if I remember correctly, all of his guitars so far. Yeah. You know, like, he, like as in he don't got a guitar left. And that's nasty. And he's got, what, six kids or something. I've got two. And I've got a ex-wife and a new partner and stuff and it's just like yeah man the uh, the costs of, of court are uh, just so unbelievably high considering what they do like you know if you had uh, paid somebody to build a house or something like that they might make 20 grand out of it and your house would be built about six months later you know with a budget and what have you um but for lawyers you know they can they can make that uh, in, a, in a very short period of time um, and for somebody who's like practical, you know, who's thinking about, uh, you know, inserting a nail into a piece of wood and constructing something, um, it, it appears to be like very overpriced for, for what you actually get out of it, uh, sort of thing. But that's the game. That's how they get you. And we had so many people coming to tell us, oh, use the free man on the land and the straw man and the, and the, and the real law, L-O-R-E, you know, and, and this kind of thing. Something that people have studied for decades and then gone into court and gotten themselves shafted and ended up in prison, right? And and the day before trial, somebody was like, oh, Vinny, I can help you with this, you know? Oh, really? You can help me today, you know? Catch up on all of that stuff. Guarantee me some freaking victory. It's like, no, you can't, right? There are a lot of people out there who think that the system follows its own rules. Well, they actually believe this. And for me, that seems like they haven't had enough experience. I I remember, I think maybe eight or nine years ago, maybe 12 now thinking about it, uh, Penny Bright and Vince Seymour were two of New Zealand's only uh, public court watchdogs. And they told me so many things and they showed me so much like blatant corruption. Like if, if you're taking your lawyer to court, right. And you go in front of some judges and all those judges happen to be former clients of this lawyer, right. You'd assume there's some kind of conflict of interest. And so you'd call it out, wouldn't you? And then the judges under New Zealand law can say, no, there isn't any conflict of interest. Let's proceed. And then wind up ruling in favor of their former client. You know? Yeah. And yeah, so boxes are guarding the hen house. Is that what you're telling me? That sounds oh, crazy. They, no, no. Foxes uh, went to a construction school um, and they purchased chicken wire and, <laughs> and, and they literally built this hen house. Yeah. And then convince some farmer to let them take care of his chickens. Uh, that's the thing, you know. They they build this trap, um, and you know you you get sucked into it. And the the problem is that you can't just you know like oh, you can't man with no name lonely lonely uh, uh, in the old west uh, gun them down type thing and restore justice to the old west. It's not like that anymore. 
um, even though there's a lot of people who think that it should be that way. And so you, you're kind of at the mercy of, of these people. Now, at the time, I was really severely traumatized. And, and me personally, I didn't do uh, terribly well at school. You know, I wasn't, wasn't bad. It was, it was just more the fact that uh, I wasn't interested. And so when it comes to the law, I mean, maybe there's a potentiality that they actually try to make the law sound as uninteresting as humanly possible yeah. so that people won't be like, oh, my goodness, this is, this is, a, this is something I'm going to get on to. Like Penny Bright beat the New Zealand, uh, oh, what was it, the, uh, the Auckland City Council 21 out of 22 times in court, not a day's legal training in her life, because she was interested. And uh, she was interested about uh, the law and, and rights and, and things of that nature and so she took her beliefs uh to the point of arrest uh 22 times and i don't know of anybody else in, in new zealand who's uh been arrested that much uh for activism and that was only for a single issue uh that was for getting uh contractors to have the details of the contract published in an online forum for public scrutiny Right up until that point, we had twenty-eight billion dollars worth of public assets in Auckland that was being administered over private contractors, where there was no information available about what they were doing, why, and with what, and for how long. Right, that that was it. That was just open cast mining uh, for corruption uh, here in Auckland. And uh, after she got arrested twenty-two times. They had to publish that material. Who is the contractor? What's the term of the contract? What's the scope of it? You know, just those three simple things that she had to get arrested 22 times in a row in order to get the public benefit from. And so a similar thing uh, with myself and Billy, uh, regardless of how much it costs us and, and, and what have you, the uh, exposure of the New Zealand government and how brutal it is, how corrupt it is, is becoming much, much easier for other people because of our sacrifice. Like uh, just recently, Liz Gunn, who's a uh, alternative media head in uh, New Zealand here, who came out fresh after the uh, pandemic, you know, um, and so many others as well. But she got a new political party going in like, a month. Now, I'd never seen that thing happen before. Somebody can actually get a political party registered in New Zealand inside of a month. Uh, and so very, very good uh, congratulations uh, due to her on that one. And there were also, like, I think, about another eight freedom parties. Now, back in the 2020 election, when me and Billy TK were uh, working together trying to contest that and, and uh, challenging the lockdowns and all of that kind of stuff, there was one, really, uh, Freedom Party that had any real uh, uh, note, and now there's eight, right? And this uh, is uh, a good sign in, in one way because, you know, that old phrase, people are waking up. Uh, personally, I don't necessarily know if that's the case i'd like to see some evidence but but secondly it means that somebody broke the glass ceiling all right and other people are now able to uh, slip through and start their thing but on the flip side what could be really bad about it is because all of these different parties won't talk to each other won't work with each other 
none of them are going to win. All right, we we have a a five percent threshold for winning in in New Zealand. If you get five percent of the vote for your political party, you win. You get to go into Parliament and and be represented. But these people between them of the eight political parties and, and whatnot that we're uh, talking about that ostensibly stand for freedom. I mean, altogether they comprise about maybe five, maybe six percent. All right, but it's split eight ways. <laughs> no, that's the government controller going on the side of their smart meter and turn it to argue. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, how many, how many uh, ways are there to manipulate people and get them off their game and, and stop them doing what is right, or stop them doing from what is even basically logical? Because in order to be a talk radio show host or a comedian or a politician, you've got to have an ego. I mean, you've just got to because ego means sense of self, okay? If you have no sense of yourself, you won't be able to make jokes. You won't be able to talk and have serious conversations with people about scary stuff. You won't be able to lead other people, all right, because you, you don't know who you are. You don't know what you stand for, that kind of thing. Now, some people their ego gets control of them. They're supposed to be in control of their ego and just have it. But in some case, the ego has them, you know? Um, and there, there may be some of that uh, going around. I can't be sure because I haven't really spoken to any of these people, namely because none of them will reply to my emails or requests for interviews, interestingly enough. And not a single one of them came out to support me and Billy when uh, we got arrested. Not the alternative media, not the uh, alternative politicians, not one of the major players in this country came out to support us uh, or have since uh, through this. And so I don't know what the future's like for New Zealand, but the signs point towards something very, very bad and also something very, very good. Because I think that the worse things get, the less... Uh, shall we say, illusions people are capable of being held under. If things are really, really bad, people just don't buy the BS anymore. And hopefully we'll get to that dark night of the soul uh, for everybody in this country sooner rather than later because the statistics uh, don't lie in this country. We have 35% of the New Zealand workforce thinking about leaving. All right, 35% of the workforce and 10% of them are already gone. Now, on top of that, we had the uh, death statistics, births and deaths and uh, statistics come out. And we had, I think there was something like 7,000 fewer babies being born and five, five or, or 6,000 more people dying. Hey, baby, how you doing? This is my little bubba. I'm on the radio right now, baby. Can you go hang out with your mummy for a little bit till daddy's done? Thank you. Daddy loves you. Uh, and so the immigration statistics are real bad. We had 12,000 New Zealand citizens leave in July alone. And this is a country of only 5 million people. Now, in that same period of time, um, over this uh, last year, the immigration statistics have come out and we've taken 80,000 new immigrants and we've lost 12,000 New Zealand citizens. 
Okay. Uh, uh, we lost 12,000 New Zealand citizens in a month and we had 80,000 uh, uh, immigrants come in in a year. So, yeah, it's it's getting very, very uh, testy around here. And uh, some people are saying that what's going to happen in New Zealand next is we're going to have Pakistan, uh, the, uh, the type of Pakistani rape gangs uh, that they had in uh, England uh, where – uh, English girls would be getting raped all the time by gangs of men uh, who were so well organized that they'd infiltrated the police, infiltrated the politics, and anybody who speaks out against them and stuff like that, they demonize the living heck out of them, and the police are too afraid and the politicians are too afraid to uh, do anything except what, what this uh, uh, radical uh, group of immigrants want. And so in New Zealand, that hasn't happened yet. But what we are having is a, a group of posters and signs around the place that says "Proud to be Maori." Now, I don't, I don't necessarily have uh, anything wrong with people having pride in themselves. You know, I'm proud of the work that I've done as Vinnie Eastwood, but I couldn't be proud for the work I've done as a uh, as an Irish descendant or a Scottish descendant or a Welsh descendant as I am, right? And so. What am I going to do? Take credit for all the Welsh people? Take credit for all the English people? Take credit for all the Irish as, as if, you know, their achievements are my achievements because my mother and my dad fucked at some point? No? Okay. So the whole idea of pride in your, in your own, you know, uh, race and, and sense of uh, national identity, I, I personally have a, have a problem with it because I'm an individual. Right, and I understand that there really isn't anything but individuals. People want to uh, say that they're a part of a collective or something, uh, but you're not. You cut off the guy to your left's head; your head's still on your shoulders. You're not a freaking collective. Me killing him doesn't hurt you, right? Just like you inventing the automobile or inventing the smartphone is not uh, uh, due to being credited to anybody else who just happened to have the same skin color or just happened to come from the same culture. Right, that doesn't that doesn't wash with me. And what's worse is that uh, people think that this is perfectly okay, and they don't see the insidious nature of it. They don't see the divide and conquer tactic inherent within it. They don't see that uh, Maori iwi or tribes uh, leaders and things of that nature have been bought out and corrupted by the government. They're now sending letters to people. Like let's say uh, Julian Bachelor, for example, who has a uh, piece of land worth about five million dollars, gets a letter from a local iwi and says, "We now own your land, right?" And you have to still pay the rates, of course. <laughs> we don't want to have to pay that. And uh, by the way, if you ever want to do anything with your land, including sell it, you have to come to us first. And I was uh, given some information by a multi listener of mine the other day that he had a mate. Uh, who had a piece of land that was worth maybe uh, maybe five, six million dollars. We're, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of acres, you know, tens of millions of dollars worth of land, right? And he's under the same rules of his tribe. He's a Maori landowner, and his tribe says that he can't sell it on the open market. It has to go to them first, right? And so he goes to them thinking about selling it, and they offer him 200 grand, you know, so these corporate Maori are keeping their own people under their thumb 
And it's truly disgusting that people can't see through the mask of race and just understand that corruption happens regardless of what culture you're talking about. And divide and conquer tactics are going uh, crazy in this country. We've got now a concept called co-governance where Māori, who represent about maybe, what was it, 12, 16% of the population, are now going to be 50% in control of this country. Just because. Just because they were born Māori, right? And and by born Māori, you mean 90% white and 10% Māori, like in terms of genetically, right? Because Māori have been interbreeding uh, with the Europeans who came here since they started coming here, okay? And this has been now five generations of intermingling, and so there aren't any pure-blood Māori left. But these people who are like 90% uh, white by genetic heritage are now saying, I'm proud to be Māori, right? And getting facial tattoos and calling people racist and, and all of this other kind of stuff. It doesn't make sense unless you understand what the tactics of divide and conquer that the New World Order uses to fracture people, get them fighting with each other over uh, things like the communist plank of getting everybody to be obsessed with sex and race and all the differences between us. They don't see that, uh, these people. And it's very, very dangerous. I know a lot of Māori who do see it, and they're very upset about it because they get tarred with the same brush. They're, they're like, these people aren't me. I'm an individual. You can't say that I'm some kind of brown supremacist or, or whatever just because these people who claim to represent me are. And I think that's the worst thing in the world, really, is when somebody claims credit for your race, for your work, for your personal freedom, and then just basically takes it from you. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, that reminds me, there was, um, you know, African-American kids in my high school. And then we got an exchange student from Africa. And he was like a very proper student. And he showed up to class on time and he like spoke like, you know, very uh, Americanized, just very proper English. And I remember that the the black kids at one point confronted him and they go, you're acting white. What the fuck are you doing? You're acting white. Like, you know, and he goes, I'm from Africa. <laughs> like, I'm from there. And you're. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And they were bullying him because he wasn't acting black enough. He was from South Africa. Anyway. Yeah. Um, it, I, I want to say two things in response to this. Sometimes, like, what when you put it like that, like, court and the law is like so asininely simple but they want to like your your lawyers that charge you thirty thousand dollars want to justify the existence and the credit hours by handing you know seven dissertations to the judge that blow his brain up you could have walked into court i and i'm haunted by a moment from college i want to get to but you could have walked into court hugged the bailiff case closed case closed done if you could get it, if you had the balls to get away with that, hug the bailiff. Oh, let's go through the charges. What was charged? Stand next. Oh, like what I just did to the bailiff. Case closed. Done. I remember I was at Eugene Lang College and I wrote an article 
um, because they were changing all the men's bathrooms into gender neutral bathrooms and they were leaving the woman's bathrooms alone. Okay. We had a whole club of trans, you know, I looked at in the world, there's like one out of 7 million people are trans or whatever. Like there was a club and there was like 50 trans kids in the club in my school. So they got political power together and they started changing the men's bathrooms to gender neutral bathrooms. So I wrote an article about this. Like, what the fuck would like change the ladies bathrooms? My friend Rob Maynard wrote an article about how the white guys from Jersey and uh, Connecticut should date the Asian girls from Parsons uh, fashion school because they're good suitors. And the there was a meeting by amateur victims trying to go pro from the women's of color, the LGBTQ, the this group and that group uh, that were and they labeled us as transphobic, you know, racist, homophobic, this and that and this and that. I told Rob Maynard when this dude, we should let's it's tomorrow, the meeting tomorrow at noon. Let's go and drag. We'll crush them and go. You don't know about my life. You know, I've been in closeted drag. <laughs> If we showed, and we we had this plan where I would have a, a mop on my head and crazy lipstick, and um, I go, I'm Tracy. Oh, Eric's not here now. You know what I mean? And then my friend Rob Maynard, we had just done a drag party at Eugene Lang College. He had this dress with like a fruit bowl, and he would come in as like a senorita Latina, spicy Latina with a fruit bowl on her head. And I, I go, we should do this. And in 10 seconds, it will be fatality and we will leave. Otherwise, if we go plain clothes, we're going to sit there for three hours as all these professional victims catch the stirrup to their high horse and call us uh, all the words, all the icks words. You're transphobic, sexist, you're all the, the icks, you know. And it's going to be arduous. And we talked about it and he's like, we're going to get kicked out of school, blah, blah, blah. So we lost our nerve and we send it. We, we showed up plain clothes. As each arduous conversation of, well, you don't know this and you don't know that. And this weasel faced administrator literally said, oh, well, um, you should we have like sensitivity retraining. We should get I go to the gulag. You're going to reeducate me in the gulag. Shut up. I said that to his face. And um, so then it was they were like this one administrator that they picked shut us up the whole time as everyone bashed us for hours, hours. And so finally, at the end, I they were like, "Okay, Eric, you can talk to the and I, I to the sixty people that got to speak and say that you're all the words, right?" And I go, "Okay, okay." And I like acted resigned. I'll write a whole paper about how I'm sexist, I'm homophobic, I need to be reeducated. I will write that paper. I will publish it in the newspaper. All of your groups. All I want you to do is attach all the names to your group and co-sign this sentence. I'm not funny. How about even trade? And that this shape-shifting millennial with a foxtail attached with a carabiner to their belt loop because they're part fox went like this. <gasps> and I knew I won right there. But I, my demon in my head goes, you should have shown up and drag. This would you wouldn't have taken three hours. That's what the demon in my head said. Yeah. Well, but, I mean, dirty yeah. tactics versus dirty tactics, isn't it? Exactly. They're trying to do this thing of like group stock bully to suppress someone who's 
not afraid because they're all pussy cowards doing the whole victim. I'm a, you know, let me go professional in the virtue signaling category. And I'm going, what is a fact is they change three men's bathrooms to gender neutral. So instead of imagine this, you have a toilet with this with a, you know, a closed compartment toilet, three urinals. Okay. They bulldozed all that out, put one, kept the toilet in the floor. Now it's a big empty room with one toilet, gender neutral bathroom. I go, this bathroom used to process 20 men an hour. Now it processes four retards, you know, an hour. And then they wrote an article, yeah, you don't know what it's like to be me. I don't feel comfortable in either. That sounds like a fucking you problem. That sounds like a you problem. Yeah. It's just uh, mental illness is getting is getting uh, out of control these days. And that's just because the people who control of society are completely mental, right? Um, and so all of the uh, things that you're seeing and the insanity in the streets and Antifa and Black Lives Matter and all of this kind of stuff, it's just filtered down from the top, man. And so um, this is what G. Edward Griffin says, that the uh, thing that we should be doing is trying to take office, right? Trying to get in your local city councils, chief dog catcher, any position of authority in any way, shape or form within your municipality should have truthers trying to win and actually winning if we want to turn this thing around. Now, that's uh, part of the way to go, because once you've gotten power, the thing is uh, going to happen. It's going to corrupt you. So after you've gotten the power, the first thing you've got to do is give it back. All right. And say, we've got all these executive orders. We've got all these powers and uh, we're going to repeal them. How many Republican uh, uh, presidents repealed anything the Democrats did? How many Democratic presidents yeah. repealed anything the Republicans did? You see, this is how we know that they're all on the same team. Okay, you you watch a uh, 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 Monday Night Football or, or whatever it is, and there's a red team holding the ball for the place kicker, and the place kicker wearing blue comes and kicks it. That's the image of politics in a nutshell. They're working together, and so unless we work together. Against them for truth, there really won't be uh, much to uh, fight or squabble over left before long. So that's the uh, message to really uh, close it out with is uh, let's just understand what we're dealing with, you know, not who but what. Okay, We're dealing with the forces of anti-life, whatever is living whatever is really truly alive, they want it gone. And do you want to live? Do you like living? You know, even if you don't like living, I guarantee you wouldn't prefer being exterminated or enslaved by ruthless criminal sociopathic scumbaggery. So the choice is up to you. You can either kowtow, sit back, wait for things to get worse until there is absolutely no escape possible, or you can try and do something, anything, to get the truth out. Because the truth is what will give us freedom. Freedom won't give us truth.
Uh, thanks, Vinny Eastwood. This has been Highway Diary, episode 387. Go to the com for all your Vinny Eastwood needs. He needs a little help with some lawyer fees. Um, he could have hugged the bailiff, but he went, you know, the way of, um, you know, the inside baseball team, because that's how you play. You work the system um, from the inside. Um, I go to ericollerbach.com slash calendar. I'm going to be in Houston at the secret group tomorrow doing comedy with my friend Kyle Smith. Then Friday, September 1st, I'm going to be in Baton Rouge at the boomerang comedy theater. And then I'm going to go do a wedding. And then I'm going to come back on the third back to Austin by way of Houston at the secret group again with Kyle Smith. And then uh, that's so I have a little couple of comedy dates. I have a show with Harrison Smith at the Vulcan Gas Company called Illuminati Confirmed. And the next one's likely going to be October 20th at 10 p.m. Keep going back to ericollerbuck.com calendar for my comedy dates. I love you, Vinny Eastwood. We've known each other on the Internet for over a decade now. And uh, you have not changed. Circumstances have changed, but you are like, when they cast your soul, they were like, fight tyranny, go. And like that little sperm trying to find the egg has done the same exact thing. I've known you for years now. Like I say, you've never changed, which is beautiful, you know? Any, Thanks, uh, any Anything I missed? Um. No, I mean, I, I think uh, you've really uh, said it all. When people go to the vinnieeastwoodshow.com, they can they can donate, they can support me on Patreon, they can find my band. Um, and, you know, I'm on YouTube again. Um, I once had 65,000 YouTube subscribers. Now I've started from scratch. Uh, so I think I've got about 700 subscribers now, uh, which is very encouraging. And eventually I'll be able to get to 1,000 subscribers, so I'll be able to live stream while I'm on a phone. Um, and that, that'll be really good. So subscribe to Vinny Eastwood on YouTube. Uh, that would be really helpful. But mostly just follow me on Twitch. Twitch is generally uh, where all my shows uh, go up uh, live. And if you signed up and you have uh, notifications on and stuff like that, you get email and stuff and you can easily uh, tune in nice and quick. So, yes, yeah, thank you so much uh, for your long-term friendship here eric it's been fantastic hey love you brother maybe i'll get down to new zealand one day and, uh, who knows who knows I, I hope to meet you i met my friend charlie robinson he lives in denver and you know you did the best interview ever with donald marshall and um so when i saw charlie robinson i, the, I go i'm not being weird and i pinched him and i pinched his face and i go okay you're not a clone okay we can continue so, um, you know, I got I want to make meet you in the flesh one day to make sure that you're not a clone or an AI robot or anything like that, you know, but I think I think you're the same guy. Well, Donald thinks I'm a clone. Uh, he, he says he saw me at the clone. I can't remember it. It's because they only clone me while I'm asleep, remembering being awake when my consciousness has been transported out of my body to a cloning facility where they uh, planted into a clone and then do something. Uh, and then they get so that, that's Donald Marshall's uh, uh, testimony. So, according to him, I'm a clone. Oh, well, well, I'll be the judge, or at least, that. or at least I have one, at least. <laughs> I'll be the judge of that. Okay. Uh, Highway Diary, episode 387. Bye, everybody.